Hey, all welcome to episode 290 of the podcast. We are, of course, in our Boys of Summer splendor, and I am so excited to bring you an episode with my buddy, Kevin Murphy. Uh, what a joy, and uh, I think you're going to definitely enjoy this one. I hope everyone's summer is moving along splendidly. I hope that for those of you who celebrated Independence Day, uh, Yesterday, if you're listening to this on Thursday the 5th, that it was very pleasant, safe, and uh, enjoyable for you. Um, I, you know, been having a lot of conversations about just people feeling like they're in a place where they're not so keen to celebrate being American right now. And, uh, and I felt very inspired by um, a conversation about, you know, being reminded that being patriotic uh, can also mean being incredibly disappointed and unhappy with the way things are going uh, as much as it can be about anything else. So that's kind of something I've been holding on to uh, this 4th of July. And uh, yeah, so that's just something to think about. Um, shout out wise, I did want to throw out, I think I have not gotten to these shout outs yet because uh, of course I've been so busy with the um, show and shooting that I've, I've missed weeks and so forth. So I think maybe I still owe Paula, Kaylee and Liz some hellos and how do you do's and thank you for your emails. Ziz. Uh, and I will uh, hopefully talk to you guys very soon. I'm planning on getting right back on track. Uh, I feel very optimistic about having additional um, boys of summer throughout the rest of the summer. So now that I've said that, I'm sure something will go horribly wrong. But uh, no, you know what? We're not going to think that way. And all right, guys, enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you soon. Now entering Nerdist.com. Okay, so you have a new puppy. I need to get into that immediately because you recently <laughs> you recently sent me a video for my cousin who had undergone a medical procedure and you and Bill both very, very kindly yeah. put together little videos for him, which they absolutely loved and were so touched by. And I believe that Vita made a cameo appearance in the one from you. Vita did. I've been trying to stuff her into lots of pictures just because she's so damned adorable. She's a, she's a Cocker Spaniel. We've had three Cocker Spaniels, and uh, our last one died rather suddenly, um, and so we were very sad about that, and uh, Jane immediately went out and started shopping for a new dog and found Vita, <laughs> who has the biggest, the biggest paws you've ever seen on a dog. They seem like they're crazy. They're like canoe paddles, and... Uh, <laughs> So everybody just, she's just cute as can be. And uh, so I stuff her into every picture I can these days. Listen, the, if, it, if it makes people like you more, if there's anything that can, that, that can make a person uh, seem more tender-hearted, it's a giant puppy uh, with huge paws, or at least a small puppy with huge paws. It's true. Uh, that, now, it's true. not to just like, not to immediately... Uh, attack what you said about uh, turning right around and going shopping for a new dog um, but oh, yeah. but I do but I am curious about that process because people go through losing a pet in so many different ways and you know some people sort of lose a pet and then just can't ever quite get back on the horse whether it was a horse they lost or not um 
and and oh, yeah. sort of yeah. have that you know that heartbreak and then you know some of us uh like for me when i lost my cat who i'd had for 16 years um wow. i couldn't go i couldn't get another cat i had to get a second dog because that's sort of what i felt like i could manage at the time um but wow. people who seem to have the most i don't want to say success but the 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 process of kind of just you know, bringing another animal into your life to love and care uh, sooner than later. Uh, a lot of those people, to me, are my friends who kind of um, handle it the best. And I don't know if part of that is just, you know, kind of ha the, being able to fall in love with another animal while you mourn the loss of, of the previous. But yeah, I think that's probably what it is, is that um, uh, I think we had room in our lives for uh, another dog almost immediately. We've talked about having more than one dog, um, but you know that's the kind of chaos I don't know whether we're prepared to, to do. And <laughs> and since since I work at home and my recording studio is at home, it's uh it's difficult enough to have the puppy. I you know I she likes her kennel. We're training her the Caesar Milan way by having her stay in the kennel as much as possible. She sleeps in the kennel at night. Yeah, and that's great because she she all her cool stuff is in there. You know about Kong uh -huh. balls. If you have dogs, <laughs> oh man, Kong balls are like yeah. heroin for dogs. I love yeah. these things. <laughs> So, you know, put a little of her kibble in there, put a little peanut butter in there, and then it takes her about a half an hour. Um, and then she's just like serene afterwards. You know what? And, I, uh, and I, I love that. I love Kong toys in theory, and I have to say, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because my dogs are older now, but um, they uh -huh. both give up on Kong so fast that yeah. it's infuriating yeah. because it because the 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 concept of it, and I have seen it work so well with other dogs, um, feels like how lazy and privileged are my dogs? <laughs> okay, while we're on the subject, um, a. a, a Pro tips here from people who were multiple dog owners. Nyla bones yeah. are bullshit. Oh Nobody... yeah, what are those again? Nyla bones. Well, there, you know, there was this there was this movement that said that you shouldn't give your dog a real bone because you know for some reason it's I don't know maybe you've got uh, uh, you know personal reasons not to or that they're going to be dangerous for your dog and so they make these bones that are sort of I mean they call them Nyla bones because I think they're actually made out of nylon. And uh, we've bought them before, and it's the kind of uh, toy that just sits there, and they chew it like once or twice, and then they realize, hey, man, this is made out of plastic. I, you're not going <laughs> to fool me with a plastic bone. Yeah. Nyla so. bones. Yeah. You know what? I think I, 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 I think I knew that, but no, but like maybe had heard it by some sort of other brand name or something. Um and yeah, that's that's. I think as long as you're not giving your dog a tiny like tiny chicken bones, you're probably oh no 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 no. Here's in fairly here, okay. good shape. Yeah. One little uh, piece of I think it was sort of like karmic um, transmission from our old dog Boomer to our new dog Vita is one of the first things she did when we were letting her out in the yard is <clears throat> she found um, our dog Boomer would bury all of his bones. He'd get a bone and he'd run around the house crying. That's a real thing. He buried yes. his bone. See, that's like a dog cliche that, again, I never have per personally witnessed from a dog I've owned. That's about the cutest thing I've ever heard. He buried his bones. He, he was not very good at it. He dig, 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 dig <laughs> into like a soft pile of leaves or, or um, 
wood chips or something, and then he put the bone in there, and then he tried to cover it up with his head. He didn't have the presence of mind to turn around and use his legs to bury it back. He'd just mush everything around with his head and then pat it down with his head. So um, then, like, two weeks after we got Vita, she's rooting around in the yard, and she found the biggest bone that Boomer had ever had. Honest to God, it's like a foot long. It's like three inches around. It's hollow in the middle. And oh, she hasn't very nice. she hasn't let that out of her sight since she got it. So I you know <laughs> I know that one one died before the, well you know the other one was born. But you know I, I think of these things of <clears throat> you know like the Dalai Lama. You would just bring these sig- significant signs and they recognize it and then they realize that this is the next karmic heir. Uh, That's so, right. So Vita is sort of like our doggy llama for us. Your doggy llama. Our doggy llama. Boo. Right. Yet, yay. <laughs> yes, did <indeed>. you <laughs> did you did you grow up with with pets? Yeah. We generally had a dog around the house. Uh, I was never big on cats. Um I they just didn't do much for me, you know? They just they're just not that not that interesting to me. And, and I I've known people who have like 11 cats and and I think that's a little crazy. But one cat, you know, I, I can understand it. it. It's just I've never gravitated towards cat ownership. But we've all, always had a dog when I was growing up of one sort or another. And who's who constitutes the we in that statement? Do you have siblings? Uh, yeah. My mom always liked to have a dog around. And so she'd go and pick out the, the dog. And uh, and for some reason, we we're, we always named our dogs after either pop songs or pop stars. We had... Oh, wow. uh, we had a mutt named Sloopy. Remember the song "Hang On, Sloopy." So Hang on, Sloopy. Absolutely. Sloopy. Yes, yes. And then we had a uh, a cockapoo named Maggie after Maggie May, the Rod Stewart song. Um, we had a basset hound named Herman, uh, which was named after Herman's hermits. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, my mom I just like thought that these Maggie, things were Maggie cute. was named after Maggie was named after like a kind of a morally questionable woman. <laughs> in a song. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she, then she, Sloopy, I enjoy because Sloopy sounds like it, you were worried that there was going to be some sort of copyright infringement, and you didn't want to name your dog Snoopy, so you <laughs> went for the closest thing, which was the song it, Sloopy. Yeah. Hang on. It was close. We didn't want to have any brand conflicts going on there. And, uh, and, yeah. and it wasn't a beagle, so that, that uh, made a difference. Um, that also helps. Wait, my mom just wait liked the now, song, hang too. On, hang on, Sloopy. I, I only think of as having one lyric where you just flip-flop the verb and the noun. So I just think of the entire song as being, hang on, Sloopy, Sloopy, hang on. You got Are there any other lyrics? <laughs> There, Sloopy lives in the bad side of town, and oh, everybody okay. yeah tries to put my Sloopy down. Sloopy, I don't care what your daddy do, cause you know Sloopy gal, I'm in love with you. It's sort of a La Bamba ripoff when you look at the way that the the melody goes. Um, I think you might be right can, about that. You can fit La Bamba right just about right in there. Yeah. Do the, the, I also enjoy that um, to a dog, a lyric that says "Everybody tries to put my Sloopy down" uh, is much more terrifying. It is. Than it's it, true. Than it, is for it has a, a different context for a dog. It's true. A very, very, very different context. Uh, and and so and so where where uh, where were where were these dogs? Where were Herman and Sloopy and Maggie uh, we, uh, living? Where were you from? Where were you growing up? 
When I was young, we uh, lived in uh, River Forest, Illinois, which is uh, direct out on the train line from Chicago on Lake Street and Ashland Avenue. It was, uh, honest to God, there were two sides of the tracks, and we were on the Irish side of the tracks. And uh, and we grew yeah. up on our on our block was the uh, the Kerwins, the Cavanaughs, the Donahues, the Lynches, um, and then just across the track were the Nicosias and the Canigliaros and uh, and the Ferraras and Anthony Big Tuna Accardo. Um, oh. he lived uh, about four blocks away from us. And my little, I, I was too young at the time when we moved there to, uh, to participate in this, but he had the greatest Halloween night ever. He'd invite kids in. They'd actually have homemade candy apples and, uh, and games. And he lived in this beautiful sprawling flagstone house in river forest. Uh, you know, in between times that he was going downtown, uh, to beat the living hell out of his, uh, lieutenants when they did things wrong. Um, oh my God. So that side of the tracks was all mobbed up. And then we were the Irish side, and each family had like eight to 10 kids. We had, there were six of us. Um, oh my gosh. So it, it was a strange place to, to live. And, uh, and then we ended up moving to the far flung suburbs. And, uh, and my life parallels um, uh, Don Draper's family in uncanny ways. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 My dad was a. He wasn't in advertising. He was in uh, job placement, temporaries, and executive. They, you know, they used to call them headhunters. He ran an employment sure. agency. But uh, yes, very stressful. And the cocktail parties would we'd have our cocktail parties would come home, and you know our our liquor cabinet was the biggest liquor cabinet I'd ever seen on the planet. And oh, uh, wow, <laughs> exciting! Did your life. dad? Did your did your parents smoke? Oh yeah! Oh god! Yeah! Yeah! I mean, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know the 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 ashtray stands, ashtrays everywhere. These little beanbag ashtrays, so you could move them around and you could put them in your lap if it was a big party. Um, and oh, wow. you know, trays of cigarettes when there were parties, that sort of thing. And how did, did you guys? Uh, did you did you did you um, did you have to share rooms with with that many kids? I shared a room with my next oldest brother, Buzz, for many many years uh, until he went away to college. Um, so yeah, that was a long time. And then my brothers, Brian and Chris shared rooms. I think they just, I mean, we could have all had our own rooms, I suppose, but, uh, it just never happened. I mean, you'd have to have a damn big house. You'd have to have seven bedrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My sister got her own. She was the oldest. God bless her. She's the only girl in our family and she was the oldest. And, uh, and I think because of that, she's going to live to be 105. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, she probably was maybe okay getting out of there when it came time to move out of the house. Oh, she uh, was so happy. Yeah, she yeah. was so happy to go <laughs> off to college, believe me. Yeah. That's a big, I mean, that to me, see, yeah, especially for someone like me and 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 I'm sure some of my listeners who, you know, I mean, I'm an only child from, uh-huh. uh, you know, single single parents who never remarried. So my uh-huh. experience of, of and, and in Tucson, Arizona, which is not particularly iconic in any way other than that people you know, know that saguaros grow there. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and now well, associate it with like being close to the border. It's a very conservative uh, place, is it not? Well, Tucson isn't actually. Uh, ah, much of Arizona okay. is, but Tucson yeah. is very much, you know, like Austin or like a Santa Fe or, you know, it's it's uh, oh, it's good. very, very m- concerned with the cultural preservation of the Hispanic culture. And there it's I would say it's a very it's a very blue city, actually. Um, and so cool. I didn't 
I didn't, yeah, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have really, like, I remember the first Republicans I ever, other than my grandparents, uh, on my mom's side, the first, and on my dad's side, uh, died, died in the world Democrats who, by the way, were from the suburbs outside of Chicago and Evanston and, uh, and then moved to, to Phoenix, um, when my dad was in high school, but, uh, were I like in high school, in high school, I remember in high school me like one of the kids that I had gone to, had had all my AP classes with, uh, revealed when he was turning 18 senior year, revealed himself to be this, this Republican who had, um, really like, so like solid, impressive reasons for being a Republican. And, I just and the he and he would get into these conversations with our science teacher who also was very conservative and uh, for whatever reason again maybe because of the the, the Tucson culture in general um, most of the kids in the AP class were just kind of like assumed to be liberals and 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 I say this with with total respect truly I was so sure. impressed with how well with how knowledgeable and w- w- the reasons that he had uh because in my mind i think i thought only grown-ups could be republicans like i thought every <laughs> it's almost like i thought everyone was born a democrat or a liberal or an independent however you want to look at it obviously things are so convoluted now that what means what yeah. i don't even know and everyone's a mess but then i sort of thought like in my mind i thought oh well you can either grow up, you know, you're, you're, everyone's born a liberal and then you sort of grow up and then you make your choice as an adult when you're paying taxes and stuff because that seemed like the only reason someone would be Republican to me. Uh, and, and so when I started meeting more and more people my age who had really strong perspectives and points of view as to why they, you know, wanted less uh, of the, the federal government to be involved in state affairs and that kind of stuff, I, I really was kind of cowed by it um, because I was such a, a passionate kid that that sure. sort of all, all I thought about politics was like why can't poor people have more like that's sort of as far as I I got with it so uh so I was I was just you know fascinated by that but um but that's a sort of fascinating axiom to grow up with that you think that uh until you reach a certain age um all children are sort of like um liberal or yeah or slightly (laughs) to the left and, I never articulated then, but that then before. Then, when you reach the age of reason, as they say, then, 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 suddenly, uh, you can make the choice. Yeah. That's that you're absolutely right. And I really hadn't. This conversation is what sort of made that uh, dawn on me. But I guess my point was that, you know, when you hear uh, when you hear about the sort of I mean, you yourself were able to kind of compare it to a TV show where I don't I can't do yeah. that. You know what I mean? I don't have anything right. where I can point to something and say, you know, you know, this iconic thing that we all think of when we think of blank. Um, right. And so it really is. It really is fascinating for someone like me to hear about that and to and to, you know, to know that that you have the self-awareness now as an adult to describe it, knowing you're describing something that feels like it's out of a book or a movie, right? There's the, there's the two yeah. sides of the tracks. You got the, the, the Italians on one side, you got the Irish <laughs> on the other. Um, I don't know. Was there, was there now, of course there was a, a, a significant Irish mob in uh, Chicago as well, but I assume that uh, those people weren't necessarily in your neighborhood or maybe you just didn't know about it at the time. Yeah, no, I think if there was, there's, see, we were on the West side um, and uh, most of the uh, Chicago Irish culture is um, uh, equated with the South side, which is, I think yes. really where that's where a lot of uh, the Irish, Irish culture really sort of thrives and still thrives in Chicago is on the South side, not, not in river forest. This was a pocket of, I mean, 
all of these families lived within a block of the school and the church. It was that kind of thing. Sure. My grandmother lived across the parking lot from the church and the school. So, and Andy. she was a truant officer. So you could never get away with ditching school or ducking out of church early because she was watching from the window. Oh, my, no. my father's mother was watching from the window of her house to see if any of these kids were trying to sneak out. Uh, kind of did, did that carry over to in your friendships? Was there like a Ugh, oh, Murphy's grandma's the one that keeps us from <laughs> blah, blah, blah? She was, yeah, she was sort of a, I mean, you'd, you'd think she was a sourpuss, but uh, she was really sort of a sweetheart. And she'd always, she, God, how many, I can't think of, she must have had, uh, let's see, I want to say 48 grandchildren. That was my uh, next question. I was going to say, is this a, a if, is, is, are, are your parents' siblings a reflection, uh, too, of the sort of like have a bunch of kids? That's a oh, yeah. lot of grandkids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think one of the reasons why I'm such an introvert is that uh, I had as much socialization as I wanted for an entire lifetime before I was 18 years old. Um, and it was because no their kidding. families were so big and we get together so often. Um, but back to my grandma just for a moment, she would remember to write a birthday card to every single one. I mean, well into her 80s, she was still doing this and uh, and putting uh, a, a she put a dollar as my uncle put a piece of gum in there. You know, so that's why we love grandmas that she'd put a dollar in there. Kind of Would the gum the survive the? I guess it didn't didn't necessarily get mailed, but a piece of gum seems like a lot could oh, yeah. go wrong between the putting in of the gum <laughs> and the opening of the gum. Well, there was always a stick. It was my uncle Dick and Aunt Eleanor, and there was always a stick of doublement in in the card when we got it. And I thought, well, that's kind of cheap because he's richer than Grandma. He could put two <laughs> bucks in there. And can't he switch it up a little bit? I mean, kids like juicy fruit. Can we just maybe a big red? Could you just? I don't know. Switch it, was, it, it up always, once in a while. You know, people just get fixed in their ways, Janet. What can I say? My Uncle Dick was very true. doubling God, it every I, damn time. Part of me wants to start a tradition of sending a stick of gum in a card for people. Like, <laughs> just to ba- just be so baffling. Just be so baffling for people. Like, wait, what? What is, where, who? What's happened to yeah. her? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to ask that, too. I was going to sort of ask, you know, how how birthdays ended up getting celebrated and if there was a feeling of, you know, um, it sounds like it's the kind of anti uh, just to to use the word loosely and, and ironically in a sense, but uh, to use the word snowflake, like, is there is there do you have the same kind of like, I'm so special feeling when, you know, you're you're living in, in an era uh, and surrounded by a, just a ginormous group of kids, is there? A, do you feel like you stand out in certain ways? Are there kid, you know, are there kids in the family uh, and the extended family uh, who are sort of acting out to be to stand apart from from everybody else? Oh, I think so. I and uh, I, I, my wife Jane is a family therapist, so I get a little bit of uh, sort of like professional insight into these things when I talk about my family. And she says she sort of reflects back on me. Now, why do you think this is the way it is? And uh, part of it has to do with the birth orders that uh, we always felt like the older kids, uh, the first three, we called the first family because they sort of got treated better than, than the youngest. We three were the, the, the second family. And I think we always felt like we got a raw deal because by the time we came around, my parents had already figured out what to do right and what to do wrong by making all the mistakes on them. And so, so I don't think we got, I feel like we didn't, 
sometimes we felt like we weren't getting as lavished or as much attention as the uh, as the older three. Uh, and I think that you know, anytime you got a big family, I'll tell you a quick story about my about Jane's father. Jim was one of nineteen children in Austin, Minnesota. Yeah, and he was a twin. So I think he was 12 and 13, he and his sister Joanne. But there was and his uh his birthday one year was um uh forgotten. Um and uh that sort of uh of course, you know, that's that really you know, sort of crushes a kid when that happens. Um and but the worst the even <sighs> worse than that was and so they both these you know the, the two kids the parents just simply you know there were too many and something was happening that day but then christmas came around and jim didn't get anything for christmas they just simply forgot this one oh. this time oh. so jim jim ran away from home you know the the the, the bindle on the stick uh sort of running away yeah. from home <laughs> yes and he's he's like 7 or 8 i think when oh, this happened oh no uh, but but by that time uh, the older kids were raising the younger kids in this family um, so Jim runs away and he goes, uh, you know, un- under this railroad underpass and sits there and, you know, eats all of the, you know, candy bars that he had in the bindle and, and it starts to get cold. And so he comes back home. Nobody knew I that he had run away. I knew you were going to say that. He probably could have been gone for a week before anybody knew. How is that? No. How, what? I, uh, I know you're used to this idea of 19 kids from the same yeah. mom and dad, but yeah. how young was his mom when she started having kids and how, how old was she when she stopped? It's another sort of iconic story with, with them, uh, sort of like the sound of music. Um, uh, Jane's grandpa, Nick, had four children with uh, a woman named Rose, and she died suddenly, um, and so he's left with four young children. So okay, uh, he went right. to his parish, his Catholic, it was, it was a big Catholic family, went to this parish. The parish sent him to uh, the local convent. I mean, there were enough nuns around at that time that you had a local convent, and they sent a novice over to help him take care of the kids. Her name was Margaret, and uh, Margaret's and Nick eventually fell in love, so she left the order and married Nick and had with him 15 children. Ah! Yeah. Oh, you accounted for four. I thought maybe there was going to be... Uh, then I thought, oh, okay, we're... Now Now I get it. Like, we're going to have three different ladies, maybe. But no, it was four plus 15. Maggie had 15 of her own, yes. And it was no surprise to anybody that... Uh, um, in her later years, uh, she was doing uh, shock therapy, and uh, oh, and sort of no. after her husband died, she would just she'd spend most of the day in her pajamas, and she would move from um, one of her kids' houses to the other, and she just was sort of like a roving grandma. And the grandkids loved her because she was just you know very sweet, and she'd bake things for them, and she would you know always tell them how special they were, and and uh, she was barely able to take care of herself. But she loved taking oh. care of her grandchildren, and she she loved every single one of them. That is well, and that's you know, I mean, that's people sort of. Uh, I think people who aren't in our business, um, just we just there there are certain professions, I, I suppose, where you're just exposed to more and more 
new people all the time. And so you're sort of, you know, whatever social network, uh, which now kind of means something different than, than, than just in the sort of real life way, but your social network becomes just, it, it can sort of just continue to expand outward in, in kind of an astonishing way. If you're, if you're talking about it with somebody who lives in, you know, a small city somewhere and who, uh, has had the same job for 20 years and, you know, you, you meet new people and uh, once in a while and, you know, you, you sort of have the uh, consistent experiences and, and, and core groups of friends, which isn't to say that we don't have that, but, um, But I, but I think that, you know, there, people, sometimes people tease me for, for remembering so many different people's names on crews I've worked on or, you know, right. stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I think the same with th- this experience of whether you're a parent who has one kid or you're a grandparent who has 48 grandchildren, that's just your norm and your brain yeah. makes the adjustment and your brain is like, yeah, I have 48 grandchildren. I know all of them. I love them dearly. Uh, yeah. That's my reality. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not a, you know, it's not like you suddenly go from being a person thinking about what it would be like to be in a rocket ship and then the next day you're an astronaut and you you sort of go, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that kind of, that's, it is one of those things where it's like, well, that was just her reality, you know, and your reality was being one of six and my reality was being one and, and everybody's brain just kind of did what it would need to do to be familiar with, with all of those different faces at any given time, you know? Um, I had a, I had a few friends who were only children, and when they would come over to our house, uh, we had a lake house in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, um, actually Delavan, which is very close. Um, I don't like to bring up Delavan because that's where, uh, what's his name, Paul Ryan's from, I believe. Um, oh, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to bring it up. But, uh, and the chaos that happened in our family that we were completely used to um, I, I had one friend who says, I have to go to bed now. I can't. This is too much energy. I just can't <laughs> take all of this energy. And why are you people always yelling? Everything you do is at a, is at a holler level. Stop that. Did you have, did, did you get, did you find that the things that you became interested in, excited about, for example, when you were a teenager, because I think that is for so many of us, uh, the time where we really start to, develop our opinions about what we're passionate about or about what mm-hmm. you know we think we might be good at or whatever uh especially things like music i mean it seems like a lot of the time when people have older siblings um some of that just gets carried down because they idolize their siblings or they purposefully choose something that their siblings aren't interested in because they want to be different or they don't get along with their sisters so then no way are they ever going to you know join the mathletes or what have you um did you did right. you feel like your personality was kind of um tied into uh what you saw your your older siblings do and be excited about oh definitely and i think in an odd way it still is today uh, my uh, hmm. s- my sister played played the guitar, and she, you know, she'd do coffee house sort of things. She'd play uh, Joni Mitchell music, Joan Baez, that sort of thing. Uh, Kingston Trio, uh, Peter Paul and Mary, and my brother Brian was a rock and roll guitarist, and he did everything from um, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash to Jimi Hendrix sort of stuff. And uh, my brother Chris put me on to Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, so I owe them a lot as to how I was, I, I developed and I, all the records I listened to were theirs. Um, yeah. I remember we went around the room with some friends one time talking about the first record album we ever bought. 
And I think I didn't really buy a record album until my older siblings started moving out of the house because I didn't have to. Sure. I'd borrow theirs. And so, you know, uh, yeah, it's, I, you know, listening to Big Brother and the Holding Company and, and finding a bunch of stems and seeds in the, you know, inside of the, the double album fold. <laughs> that happened several times. Uh, the Firesign Theater was uh, like the first, it was such, a, 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 uh, I would say, a very formative a comedy group for us. And uh, I didn't know at the time that my siblings were stoned to the gills while listening to this. I just found <laughs> it really funny. But, uh, you know, they were the kind of group that I think were funnier if you were high. At least that was the theory. But, uh, no, they right. they, a lot of, yeah, a lot of that cultural formation was from, first of all, my mom, who loved musicals. She actually, uh, before she got married, she was an English teacher and did a lot of uh, theater, a lot of drama. And uh, my dad, who the uh, brought my brothers and I would do barbershop quartet harmony with him. Uh, oh, it was a very that's bonding so cool. thing. Yeah, it was very cool. And we can still, it's funny, we can still pick up, main, not always the whole song, but we can at least pick up what they call the tags, which are the very fancy, flourishy end of the song. You sort of repeat the last uh, four measures of the last verse, and that becomes this big, flowery, big send them home with fireworks sort of uh, right. harmony ending. And we still do that to this day, and we still get together with uh, all of our instruments and uh, and play. I'm going to go in July. Uh, my brother Brian still has a um, an Irish and Americana band in Chicago called Aaron Moore, and uh, I go and, and play with the, with him and my other brother Buzz, and uh, and it's just sort of hung on since I was a kid. We get together with with our guitars and our mandolins and and uh, and sing and play. And what are are you just for people who don't know? What are you bringing to the table? You play guitar. Do you also uh, play mandolin? I can't handle anything with more than four strings. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, the, the six string I, thing yeah. just it totally throws uh, me. Bar chords? Fuck that! There's no way I can't do it. I, I'm not <laughs> even going to try. My hands. I don't know if it's that my hands aren't strong enough. I, I'm just unwilling. When a mandolin just sort of fell into my hands and it seemed more natural. Uh, and the ukulele is the same way. So those are my instruments. That and and the nose flute, of course, which I, apparently I'm famous for. You're, you're world, world famous. Would we say world famous? Um, do uh, okay. That's good to know because I have a mandolin and I play ah. uh, guitar and bass, and I have never taken the time to get familiar with it enough because of the different tuning um so right. to me the mandolin feels like I, I like i've like i think i've almost thought to myself i would be better off if i didn't know how to play guitar and bass because the, i'm trying to apply the same tuning and the same rules and right. uh and the same chords, the sort of same fingering on on frets and stuff and so uh i i bought it and was so excited in part because of the Rod Stewart song, Maggie May, uh, but uh, very famous, very famous, sweet, oh. trilling mandolin in that song. It's a beautiful riff. That riff is just beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 fabulous. And and so and 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 it's just not something that um, I ever have gotten serious about. And I am really grumpy at myself for it. So maybe the next time I know I'm going to see you, I'll bring my mandolin and you can give me like, uh, the, the, the 15 minute lesson that I somehow refuse to watch on YouTube. <laughs> I totally get that because I started, my first stringed instrument was a mandolin. And so something tuned in fifths made sense to me. There's just yeah. something about the way that, uh, 
the chords would just sort of figure themselves out for me. I mean, I can't do jazz chords. I, I can't pick like Chris Thiele, but I can chop out a rhythm and, and carry myself in a group uh, enough. Um, so when I picked up the ukulele, actually, I bought a guitar. And I tried a guitar to that, and I, I sold the guitar very quickly afterwards. Um, <laughs> although I am a fan of, of playing in an, in an open tuning with a guitar. That's a lot of fun. Oh, then sure. You can pretend, oh. Then you can pretend you know how to play the guitar. That's right. You really don't have to do too much. Yeah, I, open tuning was a revelation for me as well. I, and it, and it, I had been playing since I was in fifth grade, but I was playing mostly kind of classical stuff because those were the lessons I was taking. And so uh-huh. when I started, like, I don't even know. I, I, maybe it was Joni Mitchell, although I don't think she worked that much in open tuning. Um, but there are definitely well, artists. That, yeah, she, it, you know, the thing that, uh, for her is that she played the dulcimer and the dulcimer is yeah. an open tuned instrument. There so you go. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, is, when, when I first started, whatever, whoever it was that I started realizing like, Oh, this is the, this thing that sounds like a chord I can't make happen with my fingers is because it's actually been affected by <laughs> turning the little keys it's not it's it's more it's 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 easier yet more complicated than i allowed myself to believe just in terms of like oh wait that's also a thing you can do well janet the bass is baffling to me and i i people who know how to play the bass are heroes of mine because it it, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever and you have to be strong to play the bass i mean it is a it's a heavy strong, difficult instrument to wield. And so I am always in awe of bassists. But well, the, the, I agree with you that the bassist tends to be, uh, I feel like I, <laughs> I feel like the, the person that I paid attention to and understood as a bassist, uh, having a distinct personality from the rest of the band, <laughs> was the, mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm about to admit this, was the bassist in Huey Lewis and the News. Who oh. was like, you know, remember, like the rest of the guys were so clean cut and just like wearing their like white tennis shorts and, you know, just like super Was he peppy. the grunt, who, com- continually grumpy looking guy who had a cigarette in his mouth all the time? He looked like a vampire. Yeah. You yeah, have like yeah. the three guys who kind of all look the same. They sort of all look like either Huey or maybe like Emilio Estevez. And then you <laughs> right. have, and then you have like the tall, skinny, super pale dress in black cigarette hanging out of his mouth vampire who's so out of place with the rest of the band members and that's what i think i really was like oh i get it so sometimes the bassist is like the one that is too cool for school like the bassist is always the one that kind of can't be bothered and that's kind of stuck with me with that when i when i look around and and for and and in that way i am you know definitely the world's worst basis because i'm i'm more apt to want to kind of bounce around uh like the rest of the band i don't i don't have the 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 cool too cool for school quality that i kind of wish i did (laughs) um but the the basis is so good basis is so critical sorry oh yeah no go ahead I i was gonna say the basis is so critical because you know, I mean, not everybody can tell when a guitar's slightly out of tune, but you know when the bass is out of tune. There's, there's something excruciating about it. It really it, when is. When the bassist is playing out of tune, it just, it, it honestly sends shivers up my spine, and I have to leave the room if I'm listening to a band and the bass is out of tune. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's it's a it's a very specific form of torture. Um, what what were you a good student? Were there subjects that you uh, really excelled in that you were excited about? 
I sucked at math. I was really good at English. Uh, everything else was sort of, I, I didn't care. I, you know, school was something to survive and get out of. So, um, yeah. so I got in trouble a lot. I was good at that. <laughs> <laughs> what were you getting in trouble for? Gentle pranks uh, c- or? Cutting up in class. Yes. I actually, yeah. I, I tell the story and it is, it is true, although I have no proof of it. Um, one of the first times I got sent to the principal's office was in sixth grade. We were watching, uh, I believe it was Hemo the Magnificent, an educational short film, and I was in the back of the room making comments. Oh, my God. You you tell so the I, story because people are like, this is too good to be true for an MST3K <laughs> Rift Tracks uh, uh, luminary. Sister Cheryl sent me to the principal's office and said, you're, you're going to learn not to do this. And, uh, and you I'm stood up I on a desk and said, one day, one day, I will... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it was, uh, I think because I had um, three big brothers who preceded me, it preceded me to high school. High school was really the time. It's, I couldn't wait to get out of school after that. I was, I was sick of it. Um, and I had three older brothers who had preceded me. So I was, for four years, I was known as Little Murphy, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, I got to be over six feet tall and uh, I was still Little Murphy until I was a senior. And then uh, no longer Little Murphy because there were no upperclassmen anymore to call me Little Murphy. But, uh, yeah, it was a matter of survival. And I think humor for me was a way of surviving at that time because if I could make people laugh, then maybe I wouldn't get, you know, thrown against the lockers or have somebody try to pants me and drag me around the football field, that sort of thing. So it was a survival it's yeah, so that that suggests that you weren't necessarily the guy with the the letterman's jacket and the – the, the the duck tail and the uh, w- <laughs> girl girls hanging on your hanging on either arm. Uh, no, I did have the Letterman jacket because I did sports. Um, I did football, which I hated. Uh, I hated every moment of it except for. And why did you? Why did you? How does that? Is that what? Because that's always interesting I, you, to me too. Like it, how it, it feels like you should have had a choice, but it doesn't always feel that way. I yeah I really felt like I didn't have a choice uh, because yeah. it was just so much easier to actually just do the football and uh, and not uh, uh, make ways by not doing the football. I would have uh, my parents would have had me doing something else that I probably right. disliked even more. So right. the football was okay. But then this wonderful thing happened when I was a junior in high school. I tore the cartilage in my right knee and I could no longer play. Oh, no. What a gift. It was one of the best times of my life. I came home. I was uh, going through driver's education, and I realized I couldn't straighten or bend my knee when I got out of the car. I said, oh, you better go to the doctor. went to the doctor. Oh, no, you've got a torn medial meniscus. Your football career is over, young man. And it was one and of the happiest like, days of I my life. And you were like, I had a football career? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> budding and, and very bad and, and uh-huh. mainly on the sidelines. I was on special teams. Well, I was going to say, you know, did, I, you, did, the, yeah. did the tear happen while you were, I mean, if you tell me that your, the tear happened while you were like gently tapping the brake in driver's ed, I don't know. It, or, or was it something that happened during football that you, that didn't kind of manifest until that moment? Now, it probably happened during football because uh, it just got weak, uh, and it wasn't anything heroic that happened. It wasn't sudden. It just I realized one day that it the flap of cartilage had locked my knee in place, and mm. uh, and so yeah, then then 
then that's when I started trying out for uh, the the plays and the musicals. It was like, yes, I've got all this time in my hands now. Yeah, and and so <laughs> that was in junior year. You said right? Yes, it was. What what? Uh, how easily did you kind of um, blend into that? world of doing the plays and stuff once you were able to do that did that feel more natural and comfortable and were you embraced by people oh yeah i loved it it was a lark it was uh it was really it was really fun it was fun in it was the same sort of camaraderie you had among um the guys on the football team without all the you know um ritualized violence that went along with it it was Mm. just a lot more fun and you get to be a ham bone and and get away with it and it was it was great and also it was a way that I could communicate with women. And I was, mm-hmm. up until that time, I was terrified of communicating with women. But I could do it in a, you know, in a sketch workshop or in a forensics team or on the stage in the musical. Um, yeah. And, and I could then talk to them backstage as well because we had something to talk about. Sure. Did you end up, <laughs> did, did you start dating at that point? Did you have any uh, kind of serious girlfriends in high school? Uh, I, well, I wanted to, um, I wasn't very good at it, so it didn't uh, end up being that serious. I, I, I badly botched most of those, uh, relationships. Um, but my friend Rita, who was the beautiful Breck girl, um, and was a, a junior miss, uh, for DuPage County mm-hmm. and also a, a performer, uh, got to know her and we shared in common our love of, of performing and, uh, and dated a few times, but as much as I wanted it to be serious. I don't think I knew exactly what that meant. And I, I think I terrified her. And so we just ended up being friends after that, which was fine. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I knew everyone I dated was from that little theater community. And I think that sort of went on with a lot of my life after that. Well, sure. I, I, I just want to clarify when you say that you terrified her, lest, lest anyone believe that it's because like on a rainy night, she would be in her bedroom and like the lightning would strike revealing you standing <laughs> at her window. I'm guessing it was probably more just your eagerness. It was my eagerness. It was my unabashed eagerness. Yes. And uh, yeah. Well, when I, I talked I to Jordan, that way. Yeah, I was talking to Jordan Morris about that, uh, uh, his experience in high school, and he said something similar. You know, he just, he's like, I guess it took me a long time to realize that you don't just need to keep giving cards and presents to girls every day, or they might get a little bit weirded out and tired of it. Yeah, and you know, and if my sister had been at home at that time in my life, I think uh, she would have given me some advice, and and it probably would have been very sage advice. But she was already yeah. off in her her life, so I didn't have that benefit. Right, right, and I guess I mean here you had all these older brothers, but that's not necessarily the kind of situation where they're going to be like, "Listen, little Murphy, let me give you a tip or two about <laughs> exactly. the the mysteries of love." Yeah, I I love how you're for you. You've sort of um, made all of my older brothers sound like Kanicki, which is kind of great. <laughs> I, I really Listen, did. You come over here, was... short stuff. Yeah. Yeah, take a lesson from me, huh? Yeah, I'm going to light a match on your head. Hey, what's that on your shirt? Hey, got your nose. That's... Right. <laughs> uh, I would like to apologize to all of your older brothers for Kanickifying them. Uh, I, I, think, will not... I think they'd be delighted. 
Okay, good. <laughs> good. Um, okay, I can't believe this is even possible, but I feel like I'm at the point where I'm ready to jump into this mash game with you. Um, oh, this mash game. It's it's either delightful or, or, or dreaded, isn't it? That's absolutely true. I think the more you can just <laughs> relax into giving off-the-cuff answers, knowing that inevitably there will be things that you think, why the hell did I say that and why the hell didn't I say this? Uh, you'll 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 breathe. be better served by it. Yeah, I'm breathing. Um, you can just you know go on social media and post all your actual well thought out answers uh, five <laughs> days from now. Uh, you can provide your complete list. Um, okay, so first category I will do for you is uh, let's do three bands or you know singer songwriters any any type of musician, uh, however you want to characterize that that uh, you would love to play with um, from oh, any p- oh. time period. Oh my! Ah, oh, wow, that's good. <laughs> uh, I would love to jam with Los Lobos. Oh, who was the best jam choice. band in the world? Yeah, they're just ah, uh, oh, they're so good. They're so uh, good. I'd love to go back and play with a uh, kind of one of those '60s stoner jug bands like the Incredible String Band or um, or the Eleventh Spoonful. Just again, because right. you know I'm a jam sort of guy, so let's let's say the Love and Spoonful there. Okay, um, great. And uh, and then uh, the Chieftains. Oh, great, 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 great. Do a little harmony with uh, with my Irish roots there. I love Chieftains. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, listen. I I don't know if. I, it's kind of an embarrassing thing to say. I think that you know people who are more directly in touch with, um, that with a with a lineage that is you know pretty traceable and that is kind of like I grew up in this neighborhood or you know my grandma yeah. immigrated from yeah. blank. I I don't have that, so I yeah. really kind of um I do kind of m- sort of mystify and um and and kind of make. Uh, I, I make it more kind of uh, <laughs> like uh, maybe maybe a little bit too kind of supernatural or sort of like mysterious because I don't have that. I mean, I know where my family came from in terms of like my, you know, there the, the amount of genealogy that exists. I certainly know that I have uh, Irish and Scottish roots. Um, oh, sure. Uh, particularly on one side of my family. It's just like, you know, pretty, pretty solid. But m- many of my ancestors were in America very early. So it isn't, it doesn't feel yeah. like, oh, if I still, you know, I could go back and find some, some of the Malones that my grandfather came from. Uh, right. So when I hear bagpipes and when I hear Scottish and Irish music uh, and I feel the sort of like chill in my bones, I absolutely, uh-huh. you know, I I turn it into this sort of like mythical, like, oh my gosh, this must be my ancestor, like my genes, something is remembering right. this, when really right, it right. probably is just like, oh, I just happen to like the sound of that music. And it, it and if I came from a Lithuanian background, I might feel exactly the same way about bagpipes as I do now. You know what I mean? That well, I'm trying to find I, meaning I where I, there I, is none. But yeah. that is how I feel when I hear when I hear Scottish music, uh, particularly, um, I just feel I really feel that feeling of like, oh, this is this is touching something like like very old in me. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. It makes total sense, and and I, I've had that same experience. So that the, the only Irish mu- music 
that I grew up with was uh, my dad had a couple of Clancy Brothers records. And, you know, that was guitar and banjo. And they all sang in unison. They didn't do a damn bit of harmony. And they'd always wear those fisherman sweaters. And I thought to myself, my God, you guys must be boiling because you're drinking and wearing fisherman sweaters on stage. <laughs> and that was like, that's what I thought Irish music was until uh, my, right. my, one of my brothers started bringing home these chieftains records. And then, yeah, the boron and the penny whistle and the Yulin pipes. Yeah. And suddenly that, that resonates with me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, good. I'm glad you uh, agree. Uh, okay, next category is uh, I'm going to do my perennial favorite um, three foods uh, can be as general or as specific as you want that in this alternate universe have no physical ramifications uh, that are negative of any kind. And in fact, you know, this is sort of a nutritious situation. Um, and, and, and again, it can be as specific as like this one type of sushi that you had this one place or, uh, just, you know, cookies. So three, three things, um, that we, that we give you with zero cost. Oh, wow. Well, oysters, um, because I can sit down and eat all the oysters in the world if, if you let me. And and I've tried, God knows. Um, (laughs) I actually did an, I did when I was out in uh, Seattle for a show that I did. Um, I did an oyster tour of uh, of Seattle, and I had uh, in one afternoon three dozen oysters, uh, half a dozen at six different places. So, uh, which when you when you break it down, you sort of think about traveling from one place to another, and you think about the size of oysters. That's totally reasonable. But when you when you give just the blanket number, it's it's that's a lot of damn oysters. Okay, number two, it just flashed into my head. Uh, there used to be a taco stand in um, San Jose del Cabo, Mexico, that made the best fish taco I've ever put in my mouth. And I know a lot of eating food is context, but this was, I felt like I, I could have died on the spot and I would have been as happy as I could have been in any other instance. So Perfect, perfect. There's that. And, uh, oh, let's see, one more. Uh Jeez, this is this is really hard. This is really hard. Um, uh, how would I? Well, the, just say what's on your mind, right? And that how, how this works. <laughs> uh, steak tartare. Great. Really fresh tenderloin, chopped up with an egg and mustard and Worcestershire and a couple anchovies and uh, a lot of onions and some good dark bread and yeah, that's it. Great. Great. Oh man! Now I'm drooling. I'm drooling. See, well, yeah. Well, get that bib going. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So next category. Now listen. I hadn't thought about this until just now, and I don't know why it's spinning straight off of you uh, drawing a blank because I feel like what I'm about to do is very cruel indeed. But <laughs> okay. So I like to do this category, right, where you can jump into any movie and you're not reliving the plot. You're just kind of in that world. But here's the wow. here's going to be the kicker for you that is a challenge, okay. which is I need you to pick three terrible movies, <laughs> but there's something <laughs> redemptive, something redemptive about the environment that makes the environment for you worth visiting, even though the movie is not, so you can't, you know, it's not, you're not saying I want to go into the Godfather because then you're in the Godfather, which is, you know, considered a masterpiece. This has to be like, well, you know, this movie is garbage. The plot is terrible and the acting is awful, but it's set in the Scottish Highlands. Thus I would go, you know, so three, three movies that you. you can jump into. 
I got you. Uh, the, the one that immediately pops to mind is Birdemic. Um, I, you know, there's movies like Manos, The Hands of Fate. I just, I, excuse me, I fucking hate that film and I hate everything yeah. about it. I hate where it is. I hate everyone involved. I hate the fact that it was ever made. And I'm uh-huh. really glad that I never have to look at a single frame of that thing uh-huh. again in my life. <laughs> However, Birdemic, uh, you know, is endearing. There's something so earnest and yet completely off about the thing. I mean, the guy tried to make this film and you know it's filmed up in the wine country in uh san francisco in half moon bay and so it's beautiful and, and there's one part that he gave to uh that james wen gave to a friend of his who was like this grocery store manager whose line is i think it's like i'm sorry we have no phone service the eagles knocked it out or <laughs> the birds because of the birds we have no phone service and we have no gas um so it just, you know, a, a, yeah, a little cameo role in Birdemic would be a wonderful thing. And I guess it goes without uh, saying, but I'm saying it anyway, that it, that must have come out after the birds. Yeah, it did. It, well, yeah, he's to- so- and it was totally he was totally obsessed with the movie The Birds and he tried mm-hmm. to make his version of that movie. So he in has the this- same location. Yes, exactly. And he, you know, he has a a girlfriend, but except, you know, there's none of the psychological tension that there was in the actual movie, The Birds. Uh Um, It just doesn't happen, you know, because these people are just glibly going along with their lives. She gets a call one day and now she's the new, she's the Victoria's Secret model. You know, that's what I love. Yeah. And and he's successful because, yeah, 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 Birdemic. Um, I just lived out one of these fantasies and so I'm going to throw it in uh, the movie Space Mutiny. Uh, okay. which we did live. Yes. And I dressed up uh, in um, the uh, com- costume that Cameron Mitchell had. I even grew my beard out so that I could be the, uh, the sort of like the cosmic Santa Claus in the space mumu in Space Mutiny. And so I actually have been able to realize one of my fantasies there. Uh, so drop me into Space Mutiny. Blessing. Space Mutiny. That's okay, great. Space Mutiny. And then what's your third? And then there's another. Let's see. Well, that uh, since we've got John Philip Law on the mind, uh, Danger Diabolic was sort of a fake Bond movie, which had the most gorgeous sets of just about any of the films we've done. So if I could just be a henchman in the corner and hang out on some of these super cool sets from that movie, I, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. I don't know what made me think of this. I mean, I because what you just described is not this movie at all. But all of a sudden, I just had this profound flash to the original Parent Trap. And I actually <laughs> watched it again fairly recently. And it is so clearly so much of it is it has to be a set uh because there just wasn't that much on location filming they were doing but to this day the 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 quote-unquote california ranch that Mm -hmm. the that the two Haley millses uh spend most of their time uh hanging out in i still (laughs) like it's so clearly not mostly not that and must just no. be on a soundstage. And I still am like, oh, I wish I lived there. What a great place. It's just got this yeah. perfect, like, weird 60s, but also ranch style, like, sort of modern, kind of odd, odd Mexican touches, possibly by, like, a design, a set decorator who has no right, sense, right. really, of what that means. <laughs> so it's like this sort of, like, weird filtered interpretation of it. But I yeah. love it. Yeah, that's the Brady house for me. I, I couldn't stand to watch the show, but I loved that house. Yeah. And uh, I, I know somebody somewhere has actually figured out the floor plan of the entire Brady house. And it's like, it's impossible for it to exist. Oh. <laughs> it's like, 
like a, a physical impossibility. Oh, that's But it's great. really cool. That's yeah. great. Uh, agreed. Okay. In fact, All right, let's how am I doing? Do, you're doing so great. You're doing so great. Okay. Uh, let's, let's use that as a segue into three TV kind of families. It could be the family of Cheers, you know, so it doesn't have to be a... a, a a nuclear family per se um, that from any era in television that could be your kind of alternate universe, quote unquote family. Wow. Oh boy. Okay. TV families, you know, that most of them are either so glib and vacuous that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them or they're so highly dysfunctional that uh, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. (laughs) So, even uh, like, work, but like, remember, you can do workplace comedy. You could do new. You know what I mean. You can do right, whatever the quote unquote right. family represents. Right. Okay. Well, I would. I would see myself on the bridge of the Enterprise, or right. even in engineering somewhere. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, maybe back in engineering because they seem to be pretty tight, and it's obvious that they drink a lot. Uh-huh. So <laughs> engineering would be a, a good place to be there. Great. Ah. Uh, wow. You just made thousands of nerds so happy with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, how shocked yeah. would people be if you were like, uh, I don't know, probably like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Suzanne Summer show, She's the Sheriff, but I just always oh, love, yeah. like, just some <laughs> shocking, like, wait, what? I, I watched so few sitcoms in my life, um, and it, it would seem like... Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be involved with Seinfeld because I just, you know, it's not my, I'm yeah, not a New yeah. York guy. I mean, I like, I like visiting New York, but I wouldn't want to have to live through all of the complications they have in their lives just because they live in New York City. So forget about those guys. Yes. Um, yep. So maybe, you know, cheers. That's a decent one. Yeah. You know, working at I that bar great. in Boston. Yeah. I think that would be a sweet gig, you know, even if it was just a part-timer, that'd be fine. I agree. Or if I was, you know. You know, on the bench next to Norm and uh, and Cliff, that would be kind of kind of fun. I completely and, uh, agree. I would live on any house on any street in Springfield. Great, 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 yeah. great, great. Um, that's one of the real highlights of working with Dana Gould on uh, Stand Against Evil. Is he just has uh, yeah. he has his his memory? He has such a good memory for writing and joke yeah. writing, and you know whether it's his own material or other people's. And so he just always has a great Simpson story about you know the inception of you know a, a, a beloved moment from that show. Um, right. And it's still and it makes me so happy that it still makes him laugh so hard. Like George Meyer is right. kind of one of his heroes, and he worked with him for many years on The Simpsons. Uh-huh. And so he'll he'll always come up with he'll be like, oh god, I remember one of the hardest times I ever laughed. Well, I was on The Simpsons, and George had this great idea, and like you know, then he relates this, and it's this wonderful moment where you realize as he's telling the story, like, oh, I know this moment from The Simpsons, and now I'm hearing about yeah. his inception. It's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. That's wonderful. Um, um, and may I, okay. may I say just okay. quickly, Stan Please. is fantastic. It's really fun. Oh, thank and, you, and you so can much. See, yeah, yeah. I think you're great in it, and you can definitely see Dana's hand in there. Um, because oh, it's big time. Got that one, that wonderful, sick, twisted thing that he brings to a lot of what he does. But uh, also a lot of heart. You know what I mean? It's got a lot of heart. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. It's it's <laughs> it's a it's a ridiculous show. And I will say season three gets even more wackadoo than ever. I mean, there's definitely like <laughs> some some leaps in logic and reason that we've just totally abandoned all attempts oh, at wonderful. not being a cartoon. There are moments where it's like, wait, how is this possible? Wonderful. And everyone just goes like, yeah, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. Shh, shh, wonderful. shh. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's do... Okay, so next category... Uh, uh, all due respect um, to your real life love uh, in our MASH game we do like to ask for three alternate universe crushes uh, from any period of time uh, or it could, could be a oh. character from something doesn't have to be an actress you know per se uh, or a writer oh, or I heard celebrity. Tony Hale go through this he was sort of agonizing wasn't he Tony Hale yes was over this. With, his, yeah. with his beautiful big heart yeah um, well I think because it would just you know, I'm going to pick dead people because it's just easier. <laughs> then, then, there's, then there's no complications with, with Jane, who I yeah. love. And, you know, to like I could say Charlize Theron just because I think that she's gorgeous and also brilliant and also a great actor. But I'm not going to say her because she's alive and I just don't want to have that hanging over her. I, uh, I get know, it and I respect that, it. You know, Jane has her Denzel Washington and I have my Charlize Theron. But, okay, let me, Hedy Lamar, okay? Right. Uh, now, was, did you? That's her. Was that her documentary that's just come out recently about her? Yes, I think so. I haven't she seen was it an yet. Astonishing, astonishing yeah. person. Just a, like, basically um, a genius is what I hear. I haven't yeah, watched it yet. She but. she designed missile guidance systems, and she did it surreptitiously. And she had to escape. She had a a husband from uh, who was a Nazi sympathizer, and she got out from under his thumb and came. To this country, and her story is, uh, you know, she's like a genuine immigrant American hero story, which is just That's so, so cool. great. That's so cool. Yeah, great choice. Good luck with two and three. Okay. I don't know how you're going to top that. I think I got it because they just pop into my mind. Grace right? Kelly. Grace Kelly, Particularly yep. Grace Kelly from Rear Window. That's exactly what I was hoping and, you would and say. Makes, and makes steaks for him in that dress. <laughs> And it's like, gah, gah, yeah. gah, gah, gah. and yeah. then uh, Lauren Lauren Bacall mm-hmm. at the end of To Have and Have Not when Hoagie Carmichael's playing that little cha-cha and she dances out of the bar while they're escaping. I mean, like they're escaping with their lives and she goes sort of sashaying out of the bar and Humphrey has to grab her by the elbow and say, come on, you. Fantastic. Fan. Love that moment. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, Rear Window is one of those movies where I just, uh, it remind the view from his window was so similar yeah. to my apartment in San Francisco, uh, wow. that I, I just, I, it, it, it really felt, um, real to me but also it's almost like a dream i would have had like wait you know how it's your apartment but not your apartment and it's your view but not your view because you're dreaming it that's what it felt like the first time i saw rear window i was like wait a minute wait a minute it's 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 very cool um well it's 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 cool because you'd think it would be claustrophobic but you know the the movie opens up this entire universe that's right yeah. there in the courtyard, which is what I love. Absolutely, about it. absolutely. Oh, it's yeah. a great movie. Uh, anybody who hasn't seen it, well worth seeing. Well worth seeing. Anybody yes. who's a, yes, who's yes. younger than me who is like, oh, old movies, that's a great one. Um, it's a great thing uh, to okay. see on a hot summer day when your air conditioning is out. That's that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. 
okay. Third. Okay. So next category, let's do three um, skills, talents that you uh, would like to wake up with tomorrow uh, with zero practice uh, to perfection. Oh wow! Juggling. Oh, wonderful! I can't. I can't. I cannot juggle. I can't either. And I've had so many theater classes where that's just been part of the curriculum, and I still yeah, I, have I, never I, been able to get good at it or do I it at see all. Really. Adam Savage. I, I didn't even know Adam juggled. I mean, among the guys, like the biggest polymath on the planet. And yeah. uh, suddenly he pulls out this massive case. And of course, he's been juggling since he was like, you know, six months old. Um, but listen, I think all due respect to that, all due respect to our mutual friend, that disgusts me to learn. <laughs> I know, right? I'm yes. disgusted. <laughs> okay, uh, juggling, okay. Play, playing, the, playing the piano. Is another one. Uh, and let's see. Um, being able to make really good bread. Oh, great. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, like phenomenal bread. There are some bakers, they just know, you know, the, they, they know how yeast works and they know it intrinsically. And, you know, and there's a couple people like that in town. But, but bakers are so much different than chefs. Yes. Uh, bakers are yes. really alchemists. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And again, that's one of those things where the sort of like the 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 magical and mystical elements of uh of baking, um, you really see how people can fall in love with just the idea of that perfecting that as an art. Uh, because oh, yeah. it does have this, like, particularly with something like bread, which has all these, the, the, all of the senses are engaged in such a, a profound way. Uh, I totally get it. I totally get it. I want this dream to come true for everyone's sake, including mine. Uh, I want you to become a, bre- a, a bread savant. Um, all right. I'm okay. trying. Uh, <laughs> okay. Next category. Let's see. How much, how much more can I stretch you to the point of breaking? Stretch me. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. I'm let's flexible do, now. I, okay, I'm good. Loosened let's up. let's do vacation home real places. That's the least stretchy I could possibly do. That's the most simplistic oh. and easy softball. That's yeah, that's super easy for me. Uh mainly it's islands for me. So yep. um and they are places they are all places I've been which I just fell in love with and didn't want to leave. One is the island of Rarotonga and the Cook Islands. Um which is like the most exotic tropical foreign. It's as far from it's as far from home as I can get. It's truly on the other side of the world. And yet everybody speaks English and you can get a decent cup of tea and you can drink the water. Um, yeah. Oh, so boy. That, things. that third one's a real good yep. one. Yeah. And then uh, the island of Inishmore in Galway Bay, which mm. I got mm. there and Jane can tell you, uh, suddenly it was like my life was all the brakes were put on. And I just stopped and I had this moment where I could see myself in another life and i really loved that oh. and i actually started weeping sitting on the beach at inishmore and watching some little fishing cura go out into the water and uh it's it's sort of like what the chieftains does to you that's what being on this island did to me so oh that. that sounds oh, yeah, so good I I I, I love watching BBC stuff because um it, all the all the oh, yeah. like BBC murder crap is uh some of it's good and some of it's bad but it all so yeah. much of it takes place in these beautiful foggy like small right. beach communities uh and and like and, and, and I, 
Yeah, exactly. And 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 yeah. and Shetland yeah. is another one uh, where it's just these oh. horrible, depressing things are happening, and I'm like, oh right. my god, that who could kill that child? Oh, to live on that moor. <laughs> Look at how beautiful that would. If I could wake up to that every morning, I'd be. Oh wait, right back to the dead kid. Uh, it's very, it's a very confusing, tumultuous experience watching those shows. I, I, I'm gonna do my third one within a little side story. The third one is uh, this town that we that Jane and I visit as often as we can in Mexico uh, on the Pacific coast. It's called Mahawa. It's a little fishing village north of Zihuataneo. And um, it's the way that Zihuataneo was described in um, the Shawshank Redemption, except oh. it's still like that today. It's still like that today. There's like oh nothing God. there but locals and uh, and little fishing boats and palm trees and little small houses. And it's... I, uh, I, last time I had a chance to take a month off my life, I went there and spent a month there. Oh, that's so awesome. Boy, this is, this really is like, I guess MASH really is sort of, uh, just <laughs> fa- fantasy world sort of porn in, in, in the best way. Cause it's very satisfying for me. Uh, okay. And then final category, let's do, uh, three. Okay. You have, I'm doing this for the riff tracks and MST3K fans, three movies, <laughs> that uh uh this does not involve you going into them this is in in this altered reality of our past of this mash game Uh kevin murphy has created written you know produced he is responsible for three films uh that in our reality are garbage but that you saw potential in like oh that thing was so bad and it could have been so good well in this reality it is good it's the good version of a terrible movie Oh wow! Wow! Mm-hmm. No okay. pressure, but all the pressure. Uh, let's see. There was, uh, yeah, there was a movie called Double Operation Double Double O Seven, which starred it actually was Sean Connery's little brother. Oh my! And God. he was playing a, he was playing Double O Seven's little brother. And think what a great premise! Yeah, for a movie. So let's let's go fix that one. Great. That's a good one. Yep. There was uh oh. Okay, there's this there's this Russian filmmaker, he's Finnish Russian uh he's Russian, Alexander Tushko, and he did these three films that we did uh on Mystery Science Theater uh which were one was uh what was the name of it? The Day the Earth Rose. So this is mm. Finnish mythology, but it's so confusing and it's so convoluted and it stars a hero who just keeps on fucking up beyond all, all recognition, but everybody still loves him. Uh-huh. So <laughs> just, just do that again and take these really sort of rich uh, Finnish legends and, and, and make a lot, you know, much more mystical film out of, you know, like bring Neil Gaiman in to write the screenplay for yeah, this. Yeah, very nice. Excellent. And now okay. we're talking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what's your last one? And I need one more. Yeah. Um, Go back in time and take everything that ever had to do with Manos, the Hands of Fate, and destroy it before (laughs) it gets made. Okay, Ah, sort of like going back to kill Hitler. Just tell the fertilizer salesman who had this idea in the first place, (laughs) no, you shouldn't do that. It's really a bad idea. Don't. They'll say, okay, I'll go on to something else then. Great. The world would be saved a lot of pain. Great. Uh, okay, so I am going to ask you, I'm just going to quickly do a little kind of a, you know, hash mark sort of quick thing that just determines the the number I use to do the kind of 
uh, process of elimination for the for the all the categories. So just very gotcha. quickly here, stop me very quickly. Uh, just tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, great. Uh, while I do this is this is a new unprecedented uh, way I'm going to do this, but rather than make you um, sit and talk, or rather than make us have to pause. I'm going to ask Uh you to do the thing I typically end a Boy of Summer podcast with, which is to sing me a snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer. (laughs) (laughs) If you can conjure it while I'm quickly Uh. figuring this out. Do you think you can do that comfortably? Out on the road one night, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. His voice whispering in my ears, saying, never look back. No, never look back. I don't know all the words, but I'll do it. <laughs> I so far, Does it still be strong after the boys of summer have gone? She's a maniac, maniac on the floor. And she's dancing like you never did before. It just sort of morphed into that. What can I say? It's so satisfying. Oh, my God. This is why I don't know the lyrics, but I know it nose flew apart. It's wonderful. finished i want you to know that i finished a few seconds ago maybe like even 30 <laughs> seconds ago but i was so i just about, enchanted. Just about got vita howling there <laughs> oh thank you wow okay i captivated you with my humanity you captivated solo, me oh well i'm glad people got a chance to hear about your famous uh, to actually experience uh the, the world famous nose flute so that feels like it uh oh, closes yes. a loop uh that i'm very pleased by <laughs> and i'm also very pleased by the results of your uh mash exam um ah. i i am very very excited to tell you about everything i want to congratulate you for your uh wonderful wonderful work uh with the chieftains speaking of music Thank you. Thank you, Lass. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know if you Thank incorporated you, your your uh, your genius skills on the piano uh, with the Chieftains, but that <laughs> certainly would have been an option. It is an option, remains an option to you. I want to juggle. I want to congratulate. Oh, yeah, you did not get juggling. I'm, you know what? <laughs> Let's leave that to the Adam Savages of the world. We don't need them. We don't <laughs> need that. That's right. Uh, you have a m- now mansion, apartment, shack, house, of course, is what MASH stands for. You ended up with a mansion in, in the Cook Islands. Uh, so, congratulations. Feel free to invite uh, all of your friends. Um, I will. You, I don't know if, if if some of that money was tucked away from uh, your work uh, in, in the engineering department on the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> I actually have no nice. idea well, what the pay is like uh, on that ship, so I really couldn't say well, one way or the other how you saved up. Apparently, they're beyond money uh, in start in the Star Trek world. So that's right. That you're right. That really yeah. is not a, a, an issue that comes up very often, is it? Uh, no, everybody's rich. 
um well that's good news at least uh so so in other words everyone uh and not just you potentially can afford and enjoy unlimited steak tartare but even if that's not true you you <laughs> yourself you yourself have unlimited access with zero ramifications to your body the environment etc cetera, etc cetera. uh that makes me I so want, happy yeah I want to congratulate you, too, as well, when you're in the mood to uh, disappear into a terrible film that has something to it that you actually like. Uh, in this case, it is Danger Diabolic. Ah, and <laughs> and you're And you're having uh, adventures in all of these various places with the genius uh, who was Hedy Lamarr. Yes. And uh, we can all thank you for your alternate universe rendition of a very cool concept that apparently was executed quite poorly, which was Operation <laughs> Double Double O Seven. Ah. So maybe that's something that's... that uh, Hetty contributed to. Maybe she helped you write and uh, and and co-starred in it, so that uh, some of her some of her class and goodwill made it onto the screen. There's suddenly a whole exotic spy theme going on here. I feel like I Matt know, Danger Diabolic and Operation Double Double Seven. I agree. <laughs> uh, Kevin Murphy, this has been such a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much for being a boy of summer. Uh, this has been so great. The only thing that would have been better is if we had been in the same city to record, but I'm really, really glad that yeah. we worked it out. And I, uh, I hopefully I, I'm seeing you soon. Will I be seeing you at like Comic Con or Dragon Con or any of those places? I don't do DragonCon because it's on our anniversary, and this is our oh. 29th anniversary oh this year. Oh, my gosh. So. Congratulations yeah. to you, Jane. Amazing, huh? Yeah. That's so yeah. great. Thank you. Thank you. But we will we'll find each other down the road there, Janet. I know you're right. I know you're right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, hopefully, Vita is uh, not too restless. So she can go out and run around a little bit. And, uh, She's everybody crossing else. her legs at the door. <laughs> So dogs do it too. Fascinating. <laughs> um, yes. I will talk to you soon, my friend and uh, friends of the podcast. Right. I will uh, talk to you next time during Boys of Summer. Goodbye. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.